I've been preaching a little series of messages um, prior to the interruption this weekend that I've simply called an accounting of our affection. And that is what we've been discovering uh, based out of the book of Hebrews that one of the areas that you and I need to do an accounting of or an audit of uh, is our affection. It's not unusual for us at this time of year to do an accounting uh, of our assets. And uh, sometimes we do that because uh, we're trying to reconcile uh, our bank account. Sometimes we do it because we're getting ready to file uh, our taxes, but we have to do an accounting of what it is that we have earned, and we have to do an accounting of what it is um, that we have spent. I say to you that for the child of God, if it's important for you and I to find out where we're at with regard to our assets, it's even more important for us to find out where we're at with regard to our affection. And that is that we've discovered in the Bible that apparently it's possible for you and I not to love uh, what it is that we ought to love. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that we ought to love God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. The Bible says that we ought to love our neighbor uh, as ourselves. The Bible says we ought to love the Word of God like a newborn babe desiring uh, milk. But sometimes uh, you and I struggle to love God that much, and we struggle to love our neighbor as much as we do ourselves. And Sometimes we struggle to love the Word of God like a newborn babe desiring the milk of the Word. Sometimes we struggle in the air of our love. Sometimes you and I are drawn into an affection um, that we shouldn't be drawn into. For example, the Bible warns us in 1 John 2 not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. That is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The Bible says whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, which means that if you love the world, you're not loving God. Sometimes you and I struggle to love God like we should, and we struggle to not love the world like we shouldn't love the world. That's why Paul warned us in Colossians chapter number 3, he gave us a command. He said not to set your affection on things on the earth, but to set our affection on things above. And when he's talking about above, he's talking about Jesus seated at the right hand of God because he knows that as Paul understood that, uh, that uh, we struggle in that area of having our affection or our love focused on the Lord Jesus, loving him and uh, loving what he did for us and loving who he is and, and uh, what he's getting ready to do, his coming, that is loving, as the apostle would write, those who, about those who love his appearing. Sometimes you and I love the things of this life more than we love his appearing. And so we struggle in this area, and this is a serious issue. It's really more serious than uh, just our assets is our affection. And that is what it is that we love. Listen to me now. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that the uh, church at Ephesus had left their first love. They didn't love the Lord like they should. Now, they were doing a lot of other things. They were an active church. They were a busy church. These believers were as busy as bees, according to Revelation 2. But ladies and gentlemen, they left their first love. And the Lord warned them that if they didn't repent... And return to their first works if they don't. He said he's going to come quickly and remove the candlestick out of its place. In other words, they're going to lose uh, the light and life and ministry of their church if they lose. Listen, you can be doing a lot of activities. Listen, we can do a lot of things with our hands. But if our heart isn't right, then we won't be the kind of church that God wants us to be, no matter how much we do with our hands. And so we need to do an accounting of our affection. As we need to stop and look at what it is that we really love and what it is that we're struggling to love. 
Now, the writer of Hebrews tries to help us with that here in the last chapter of this book. And, uh, and we've been discovering here that one of the things that he writes about is uh, and, and encourages us in and, and tries to motivate us in is in our affection for the people of God. That is, he tells us in verse number one, let brotherly love continue. Now, some of you were here when I was be- first began this series of messages, and we spent a little bit of time talking about uh, loving the people of God, our affection for the people of God. That is, loving God's people. And we discovered the, uh, the importance of that. We discovered we can, that we can love God's people because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and that loving one another is the most important aspect in the life of a church. And we spend a little bit of time learning about how we can grow or increase in our love for one another. That is, in our love or affection for the people of God. So verse number one, he writes there about our, our affection for the people of God. And then we looked at verse number, uh, in verse number two, where we learned about our affection for pilgrims and strangers. Remember this verse, be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. That is, you and I discover that the Bible tells us here that those that are uh, considered to be pilgrims, those who are away from home, that are strangers, people that we don't even know. Now listen, you and I sometimes do fairly well when it comes to loving the people that we know and the people that love us and the people that we're close to. But ladies and gentlemen, the Bible tells us here that we need to love those who are strangers, those that we don't know. In the context of the New Testament, it's probably referring at least to those who are traveling because of persecution and, and uh, because of the hardships that Jewish people encountered when they turned to Christ. And this book is written to them, to Hebrews. Those who are saved have a Jewish background and they are dependent on other believers to help them and to care for them. And he's writing to them and encouraging them to love those who are strangers. And one of the motivating factors that he gives us here is because actually some who have uh, entertained strangers, who have cared for strangers, have actually cared for angels, even though they didn't know that they were angels. And I believe it was last Wednesday night that you and I looked at some examples in the Bible of those who entertained angels. Angels from heaven. And uh, as a result of loving strangers. So one of the areas we need to do in accounting of our affection, I need to back up a look at myself and ask myself about my love or affection for the people of God. Do I really love God's people? Remember what John said, how can you say that you love God that you can't see if you don't love God's people that you can see? That if a man says that he loves his brother but he doesn't he's walking in darkness and he's not telling the truth. And so we we need to do an accounting of our affection for the people of God, and we need to do an accounting of our affection for those who are pilgrims and strangers, as we see in verse number two. So I want you to notice with me verse number three tonight. And that is notice with me that we also need to do an accounting of our affection for the persecuted and the suffering. Verse number three. Remembering them, remember them that are in bonds. Now, when the Bible says to remember them that are in bonds, the word bonds here is used to refer to those who were chained down. That is, they were chained, they were under arrest, and they were bound in a, in a jail. That's the reference to the bonds. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. Remembering them in such a way that you are as though you are bound with them. And them would suffer adversity. That is, not only those who are imprisoned, 
that is being persecuted for the gospel's sake, but there are many other forms of suffering, aren't there? That is, the word adversity is a word that's described to use different kinds of suffering that we experience as we journey through life. People go through times of suffering, whether it be financially or whether it be physically or relationally, there are times of struggle and difficulty as we pass through life. So the Bible says that um, the, those who suffer adversity, we need to remember them as well as being yourselves also uh, in the body. Now I want you to know this, these believers that, that the apostle is writing to in the book of Hebrews, they were going through a lot of persecution and suffering. And some of that included being arrested and put in jail. Look back at chapter number 10 and you'll see this clearly. In chapter number 10, the Bible says in verse number 32, as the apostle writes to them, he says, But call to remembrance the former days. That is, just remember in the past in which after you were illuminated or brought to light. After the light of the gospel shined on you and you believed, he said, just remember, you endured a great fight of afflictions. Remember whenever you first got saved? Remember all the battle that you was in after you first got saved? And listen, he's writing to those, as I mentioned a few moments ago, that were saved out of a Jewish background. And when many of them got saved, immediately when they got saved, their family disowned them. And when they got saved, uh, their employers fired them. They were probably excommunicated from the synagogue and the temple so that they were cut off from Jewish life. That is, when they got saved, they immediately entered into a real battle. That is a great fight of afflictions. In verse number 33, he says, Partly, here's part of the reason why you were made a gazing stock. The idea is being mocked and ridiculed both by reproaches, that is being reproached by others and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. So part of the reason why that they went through all of this uh, struggle is because of the fact that they had become a gazing stock. In other words, there was persecution and affliction directed at them because of their conversion to Christ. And also, the other reason was, is because they had become companions with those who were persecuted. In other words, they, be, they became companions with men like Paul and others. They became connected to them. And in other words, they came home one day and told their spouse, and that is, I'm a child of God now. I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they probably looked at them, you must be one of those Paul followers. So no, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower. No, it's, it's Paul, that traitor, that Jewish traitor that turned from the Jewish traditions to embrace this careless grace gospel. And now you're connected with him. I don't have anything to do with you anymore. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't be my spouse anymore. Mom and dad probably says, if you're, going to be a, if you're going to do that, then you can't be my child anymore. I'm going to write you off. You don't belong here anymore. The people, the leaders of the synagogue said you're no longer able to come to the synagogue. And they were cast out of every, all of the life that they had known. They were estranged from it now. Verse number 34, he says, you had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully. Listen to what they, they experienced joyfully. The spoiling of your goods. In other words, the Bible says here the part of the persecution and suffering they went through, ladies and gentlemen, was the fact that what they had was taken away from them. The spoiling of your goods indicates that they not only were cut off from their family and uh, and their society, lost their jobs, but even what they had was taken away from them. And they were left destitute. And the only reason is because they turned to Christ. 
The Bible says in verse number 34, the reason why they did that is because they, he says, knowing in yourselves that you have a better, that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. The reason why they were willing to, they were willing to lose everything for Christ is because they knew that they had gained everything in heaven. That is, they were willing to lose everything on earth because they had gained everything in heaven. What I'm trying to describe to you is what these believers were going through. Now, they were going through this not because that they had made some really bad decisions. They weren't going through this because they had really tripped up and made some bad mistakes. The reason why they were going through this, the singular reason, is because they turned to Christ and received Him as the Lord of their lives. They were being persecuted and they were going through lots of suffering. Well, listen to me now. Those who are going through this kind of persecution and suffering... They need God's people to love them and help them. That's what Jesus was doing. Listen to what the writer writes to them in chapter number 2. That's what the Lord is doing from heaven. He's loving them and helping them. In Hebrews chapter number 2 and verse number 18, the Bible says, For in that he, Jesus himself, hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor or to help or to comfort them. That are tempted. He sure is. You know what the writer's saying? He said, All of you that are going through these difficult times, the Lord is right there to help you. He loves you. We see it again in chapter number four when the Bible says, in verse number 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus, that is passed into the heavens, talking about his ascension to the right hand. Jesus, the Son of God, seeing that He's there at the right hand of the Father, victorious over death, ascended to the right hand of the Father, let us hold fast our profession. He's talking to these believers and He's saying, don't quit, don't give up, and don't go back. No, Judas, hold on to your profession. And here's why you can. The reason why is because we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in, all, was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. The reason why you don't have to turn back and you can keep going forward is because you have a Savior at the right hand of God, a Savior in heaven who knows exactly what you're going through. He sure does. He's touched by your infirmities. He went through it. You say, does the Lord know what it's like to be cast out of a synagogue? He went to his own hometown of Nazareth. And ladies and gentlemen, they rejected him and took him out to the edge of a hill that that city was upon. And we're going to cast him over on that hill and kill him. And Jesus walked through the midst of them. He knows what it is to be rejected by his family, by his friends that he grew up with. He knows what it is to be persecuted. Think about his beard that was pulled out. Think about the soldiers that spit on him. Think about the scourging that he went through. Think about the beating that he endured. Think about the rod that they beat him with. Think about the crown of thorns they crushed upon his head. And somebody would ask, does Jesus have any idea what I'm going through? Oh, yes, he knows. Of course he does. Does he know what it is to be rejected and betrayed? Why don't you ask him about the betrayal of Judas? One of his own twelve. Oh, indeed, he knows. He knows. Does he know what it's like to be manipulated? All the Jewish leaders are always trying to trip him up. 
trying to ask him a loaded question to make him look bad. Although our Lord is too wise to be tripped up by any man, ladies and gentlemen, there were those who opposed him were looking for a reason, trying to find an opportunity to, to get rid of him early on in his ministry, always were. Oh, does he know what it's like to suffer? Oh, certainly does. Does he know what it's like to be persecuted? Indeed he does. And the Bible says here that because he does, he is able to love and help and comfort those that are going through suffering and persecution today. He sure does. Now, there's lots of ways that our Lord comforts the persecuted and the suffering. He does it by the power of the Holy Spirit, doesn't he? His Spirit is able to comfort us and help us at a level and at a place on the inside of us that nobody else can reach. He operates through the power of the Holy Spirit. We know he operates through the Scriptures, doesn't he? To comfort and help us in times of persecution and suffering. And that is how many times have you been searching and longing and and going through a time of difficulty. And you open up your Bible and start reading. And the Holy Spirit through the scriptures, the Lord Jesus, just comforts your soul and brings rest to your heart. Oh, he does it through through the Holy Spirit. He does it through the scriptures. But I'm going to say to you that one of the ways that the Lord comforts and helps those who are persecuted and suffering is through his saints, through the people of the people of God loving, God's people loving those who are suffering and persecuted. I'm talking about us. In other words, the Lord not only wants to work through the person of the Spirit and through the Scriptures, but He wants to use you. Now, listen to me now. One of the ways that God uses His people and operates through them is by loving those that is affection for those are being persecuted and those who are suffering. Now in this verse that we're looking at in verse number three, we find some ways that is some means or ways that we can uh, love those who are being persecuted and suffering. One of the things, one of the ways that the Bible tells us here that we can uh, love them or, or express affection for those who are persecuted and suffering is just remembering about them. Remembering about them. The Bible says in verse number three in our text, The Bible commands us there, gives us this word, remember them that are in bonds. Just remember them. Those that have been persecuted and are now in jail. That is, they've been arrested for the gospel's sake. Now, we know that in the New Testament, Paul certainly was and Silas, they were arrested for the gospel's sake. That is, we have accounts of it in the Bible, and you and I should assume, should we not, that there were other believers also who were arrested as well. Did you know in the city of Thessalonica, when Paul went there on the second missionary journey, that when he and Silas got there and began to preach the gospel in Thessalonica, the Bible says that there were those in the city that were violently opposed to the message of the gospel. And the Bible says that even though they'd only been there a short time, people got saved and a church got started and they met in the home of a man named Jason. And the Bible says that the uh, people of that city attacked that home. They assaulted the home and they arrested this man named Jason as well as other leaders and put them in jail. And it took them a little while to get their way out. So it's not just Paul and Silas and the apostolic ministry. It's not just those who are being arrested, but there are other believers that are as well. And some of them are young in the Lord. I mean, just got saved and are already being persecuted and jailed. And here's what Paul says in in chapter number 13. He said, remember them. Don't forget about those who are going through times of persecution and suffering including those who are out of sight. 
Now, when the Bible says here that they are in bonds, it means that they're in jail. They are imprisoned. And listen, they're out of sight. We don't see them every day at church. We don't run into them at Walmart. And uh, they're, not on, they're not online where they're checking in with us there. They're out of sight. And, and there's a tendency when it's out of sight, it's out of mind. You've heard the saying, out of sight, out of mind. That's the reason why that you have reminders all around you. I do. I got this little table by the chair where I, where I, where I sit in the living room, a recliner there. And there's a table sitting there. I keep my Bible on it. I usually have a stack of books there that I've been studying with. And then I'll lay little things up there as reminders. Just remind me that this is what I need to do uh, today. It might be a calendar. It might be some little thing that's just a reminder of what it is that I need to do. But I need those little reminders because out of sight, out of mind. Well, the, Listen, when somebody's going through a time of suffering and they are sort of out of sight, it's easy for us to forget about them. It may be that they're not in jail. It might be that they're in the hospital. It might be that they're at home and can't get out. They're homebound. It might be that they're just away for a little while for some reason. And it's easy for us when they're out of sight just to be out of mind, just to kind of forget about them. All of us struggle with that at times. And so we really have to work at this. And this seems to be what the writer is telling us. We have to work at remembering, remembering those individuals. Those that are going through times of suffering. Sometimes you've got to make you a list, don't you? A prayer list to pray for, and as we're praying for those folks to, as the Lord leads, to make contact with them if if it's at all possible. So remembering about them is one of the things. Doesn't it help you when somebody just remembers you when you're going through a time of suffering? It sure does. You know, I was sick over the weekend, and and, uh, several, there's some in this room that contacted me. Just say, Pastor, I'm praying for you, and isn't it a help when somebody just does that? When you're going through a time of difficulty, when you're going through a time of struggle, somebody remembered you. Somebody contacted me and asked me how the Super Bowl was, by the way, just so you'll know. Yeah. My reply was, I quit watching it in the seventh inning. A couple of you will get that. Well, the point is this. That is when somebody's going through a time of suffering, and mine was minimal compared to what we're talking about here. But just remembering people. Not only do we need to remember them, remember uh, those who are suffering, remember about them, but we also need to connect with them. Notice in verse number three again, the Bible says, remember them that are in bonds. And then there's that little phrase, as bound with them. Now this takes it to another level, doesn't it? It means that I know not only am I just kind of remembering them and And uh, they come to my mind, and so uh, you give them a call or give them a text and and just kind of remember them. But no, the Bible takes it to another level, and that is uh, connecting with them. That is as though you were going through the same thing. That is just connecting with them in such a way as though you're bound with them. As though you're going through it. Just put yourself in their place as though it's actually you going through that. And he also adds a little phrase at the, towards the end of the verse, as being yourselves also in the body. You see, because of the connection that you and I have with one another, we can really connect 
with each other and we can relate to each other when we're going through suffering and persecution and other kinds of struggles. There's a connection that we have. Let me explain it to you. There is a spiritual connection that we have. As a matter of fact, you and I are connected at the deepest level that humans can be connected at because of the spiritual connection that we have. And that is that we have the same spirit, that we're one body in Christ. One body in Christ. Just like your body is one body with many different members, the body of Christ is one body with many different members. And ladies and gentlemen, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 26 that whenever one member of the body suffers, then all the members of the body suffer with it. When one member of the body rejoices, all the members of the body rejoice with it. Now we understand this, don't we? In other words, if you were, if you were to tell me that you had smashed your finger, then I would say, man, I really am sorry that you smashed your finger. But listen, that would be about all there is. I'd say, I'm sorry that you smashed your finger. I didn't mind a few years ago, and I I know that hurts. But if I smashed my finger, then everything in my body is reacting to it. When I smash my finger, my other hand grabs it like that, and my mouth flies open. There comes this awful gut sound out of my mouth called a scream. My body tenses up. My heart starts beating faster. My breaths become deeper. My whole body is reacting. On the inside, there's, there's a reaction. That is, the blood is rushing to that point of need. There's a whole chemical and biological reaction going on inside of my body that I'm not qualified to explain. But my whole body is reacting to one little finger. And do you know, ladies and gentlemen, that's what we are. The Bible says that we are one body. And that means that when one part of the body hurts, the whole body reacts to that hurt. That is, we're not a separate body, we're one body. So that when one hurts, we all hurt. And that's what he has in mind when he says, you need to remember those who are in in bonds as though you're actually there with them. As though you're bound there as well. And the reason why is because you are also in the body. In the same body as that person is. There is that spiritual connection that we have. A spiritual connection that we have. That unites us together. We also have a human connection as well, don't we? And that is, all, that is human beings, you and I, understand what it is to go through suffering and difficulty. As I mentioned a moment ago, and whenever I, uh, if you hit your finger uh, with a hammer and smash your finger, I'm going to say I understand how that is because I have a finger, and I've smashed it before, too. So there's not only this spiritual connection, one body in Christ, but there's a physical connection, and that is that you and I are experiencing the same life, and we have the same body, and we have the same basic needs in life as well. There's not any need that you have that other people don't have as well. That is, this is what you're going through. There's not a temptation that's not common to men. All of us go through the same kinds of struggles, the same kind of temptations. And ladies and gentlemen, much to the surprise of everyone in this room, there's really not anything new. Everything that you go through is what others have gone through. If you get a bad diagnosis, many others have as well. If you're going through a temptation, there are others who've been through the same thing. 
And that is that we are living a common human existence. So there's a spiritual connection. We also have this uh, human connection. And so for that reason, we really can connect to one another in times of suffering, and we should. Our Lord does, doesn't he? Our Lord does. Remember when he went out to the graveside of Lazarus, his dear friend, who died in, uh, four days early, was buried in a tomb, and he went out there and he saw Mary and Martha weeping and, and those who were gathered with them, weeping and crying and grieving with them. And the Bible says that Jesus groaned in his spirit. And the Bible says that Jesus wept. I'll tell you, the same Jesus that wept at the graveside of Lazarus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and he's just as compassionate about us today as he was about them then. He sure does. He loves us. And we should do, that's the way we ought to be as well. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter number 12 and verse number 15. Listen to this little verse. It's just a little verse, but here's what it says. It says, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. You see, that's the kind of connection that God wants us to have. With one another. And with those who are suffering. He sure does. Did you know that Jesus. At the right hand of the father. Hebrews 4 verses 15 and 16. Do you know that he invites us to come to him there. By faith. The Bible says that we are invited to come boldly to the throne of grace. To find grace and mercy to help. In our time of need. Oh, yeah, when you find yourself in great need, you've got a Savior seat at the right hand of God that's just waiting for you to come to Him so He can help you. Now, listen, one of the ways that He helps us is not only by coming to His throne, but by our connection with one another, working through the saints of God. So when it comes to those who are suffering and persecuted, we need to ask ourselves, do I love them? I mean, how is my affection towards those who are going through times of persecution or times of suffering? Those who love them, they're remembering about them and they are connecting with them as though they're going through that suffering with them. They're weeping with those who are weeping and rejoicing with those who are rejoicing. They're feeling the weight that they're under and trying to help them bear up under it in prayer. Affection for the people of God as they go through times of suffering and times of persecution. Remembering about them is important. Connecting with them is important. But thirdly, ministering to them is important as well. And that is that those who really do love those who are persecuted and suffering are going to try to reach out to them in a ministering kind of way. Now, when I use the word ministry, you might think of the pastor. And that is that this is something pastors do. They minister. But I'm, the word just means serve. It just means serve. In other words, here's what I mean by that. And that is a going, those who are going through times of persecution and suffering, if I love them, I'm not only going to remember them. If I love them, I'm not only going to be connecting with them. But if I love them, I'm going to try to find a way to serve them. Finding a way to serve those who are going through a time of suffering and persecution. You say, well, Pastor, I mean, how would you do that? I mean, if somebody's going through a time of suffering and persecution, and, and I'm thinking about them a lot. I'm really focused on remembering them, and I really feel what they're feeling. My heart goes out to them. I'm really connected with them, and I'm really concerned about them. So how would I minister to them? I mean, what are some of the ways that we can minister to those who are going through times like that? Well, one of the ways that we can minister is just with our presence. 
I don't mean our presence like a gift. I mean our presence like I'm here. By ministering with our presence. By just being there. Just being there. You know, when Paul came down to the end of his life, this great man of God who's been on these missionary journeys, this great man of God, ladies and gentlemen, who's faced his persecutors, this great man of God who was sang in the middle of a jail, this great man of God, when he came down to the end of his life and he was under arrest and in, du- in a dungeon in Rome and knew that he was going to be executed soon, he wrote to Timothy his last words. And in the last chapter, listen to what he writes to him in verse number 9. He says, Do thy diligence... To come shortly unto me. Timothy, do everything you can to come to me here in Rome as quickly as you can. Here's why. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. That is, Demas loves this world and he wouldn't stay with me. He's gone. He's departed the Thessalonica. And Crescens to Galatian, Titus to Dalmatia. We believe that these two men were sent there by Paul while it was Demas who forsook the Apostle Paul. And in verse number 11, he says, only Luke is with me. The only one who's with me is Dr. Luke. And Dr. Luke had a big job taking care of the Apostle Paul in this time of suffering. Luke is with him. So he said, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he's profitably for the ministry. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Timothy, I need you to be here with me. along with Mark. Ladies and gentlemen, I just believe that if the great Apostle Paul, if he needed these men to be with him in this time of persecution and suffering, that one of the best ways that we can minister to somebody is just by being with them. Just our presence with them. There's some in this room that take this verse seriously and it's become a ministry for them. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of James. In James chapter number 1 and verse 27, the Bible says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Pure religion, undefiled, it's this. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. The fatherless and the widows were those who had the greatest needs in the first century. The most deprived and struggling in society in that day were these two classes of people. And the Bible says here that those who really walk with pure religion, they just are present with them. They visit them. Help them. Here's what I'm trying to say. Ministering. That is, you and I, if we're going to love those who are suffering and going through persecution, we not only need to remember them and and connect with them, but we need to minister to them. And one of the ways that we can minister to them is with our presence. Another way that we can minister to them is with our possessions. With our possessions. The Bible commands us to do such, and that is to use our possessions to be able to minister to those who are in need. You see, the possessions that you and I have are not for us to just selfishly use, but also so that we not only can meet our needs, but also so that we can help meet the needs of those who are suffering. Listen to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter number 15. In Deuteronomy chapter number 15, beginning in verse number 7, Deuteronomy 15 and verse number 7, in the Old Testament law, here's what God said. He said, if there be among you a poor man 
of one of thy brethren, that is, if one of your brothers is poor within any of thy gates in thy land, which the Lord God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart. Don't harden your heart. Don't shut thine hand from thy poor brother. Don't harden your heart and don't shut your hand from somebody who's poor. But here's what I want you to do, verse 8. But thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him and lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. In other words, the Bible is saying here that one of the ways that you and I can love those who are in need is by trying to help provide for them and lend to them so that they can have what it is that they need. The writer of Proverbs issued this as a word of wisdom. Listen to Proverbs chapter number 19 and verse number 17. In Proverbs chapter number 19 and verse 17, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. That is, you help out the poor, you know who you're really ministering to? The Lord. You help the poor, you're doing it to the Lord. The Bible says, and God will bless you for it. Proverbs 28, 27, listen to it. Proverbs 28, 27. The Bible says, he, he that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes, shuts his eyes, shall have many a curse, the Bible says. When Paul was writing to the Philippians, in Philippians 4, the last chapter of that great church, ladies and gentlemen, in the verses, in the last part of that chapter, he wrote to them, thanking them for the ways that they had ministered to him. They had reached out to him, with their possessions and shared with him while he was in prison in Rome in his first imprisonment, the believers at Philippi sent to him. More than once they sent to him uh, the basic necessities of life so they could have what it is that he needed during that time of deprivation in his life. Listen to what he writes to them in Philippians 4 and verse number 10. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me has flourished again. Wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I've learned. Paul said, I'm not asking for anything, because here's what I've learned, and that is whatever state I'm in, to be content. And he says, I know how to be abased, I know how to have nothing, and I know how to abound. And he says, everywhere in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Sometimes I have a lot, sometimes I have nothing. Sometimes I'm abounding and sometimes I'm suffering need. I'm paraphrasing. And he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, you have well done. You did something really good in that you communicated with my affliction or you shared with me during my affliction. And by the way, the church at Philippi, was one of the only churches that did, according to verse number uh, 15. And according to verse number 16, they did this more than once. And Paul says, I'm so thankful to God. He said, not that I want your gift, but I want you to be able to experience the blessing of giving. Absolutely. He said, listen, and you know what will happen? Because you're so generous, God's going to supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in verse number 19. Here's what I'm trying to get you to see. This Philippian church, they understood that if you're going to love those who are being persecuted and going through times of suffering, one of the ways that you can love them is by ministering to them with your possessions. Not only your presence, but your possessions. There's a third way that you and I can minister to those who are going through times of persecution and suffering, not only with our presence and our possessions, but also with our prayers. With our prayers. I remember reading in the book of Nehemiah, 
Nehemiah, ladies and gentlemen, was a, uh, was a servant of the king. And he found out through another servant that the believers, that is the Jews, who had returned from captivity to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, he got word that things weren't going very well back in Jerusalem. He was still living in captivity. And ladies and gentlemen, Nehemiah got under such a burden for the suffering Israelites who had returned to Jerusalem that in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4, he got under such a burden for them that he says he was in continual heaviness and in prayer, praying for these Israelites who had returned and were going through such times of suffering and even persecution, trying to rebuild the walls of the city and the temple in Jerusalem. So he prayed for him. He prayed for him. He's such a good example for us. Listen to what Paul wrote about this in Colossians 4, verse number 2. He said, continue in prayer. Keep praying and watch. Stay alert in the same with thanksgiving and also praying for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in bonds. Paul's saying, you want to do something for me during this imprisonment that I'm going through, church at Colossae? If you want to do something for me, here's what you can do for me. You can pray for me. Pray for me. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, When it comes to ministering to those who are suffering, we can minister with our presence by being there. We can minister with our possessions by trying to help them with their needs. We can minister to them with our prayers by praying for them. And then finally, we can minister to them with our performance. When I'm saying performance, I mean action. I mean do something. Do something. When I say do something, I might mean do something little. When I say little, I mean maybe you just get a little card and write out a little note on the card and stick it in the mail. I got some cards from several people, some that are in this room, and just saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. It may be some, or it might be something really big. It might be something like what Abraham did one day whenever some kings came to, uh, to Sodom and Gomorrah and those cities in the plain and attacked them and took them captive. And one of them was his nephew Lot. His nephew Lot and those who are living uh, in Sodom and those surrounding towns have been taken into captivity by some enemy kings, ladies and gentlemen, defeated by them and taken into captivity. They're going through a real rough time. And Abraham didn't just pray for them. He did something about it. He got his men together. He armed them and he went to where those kings were at and he put a whipping on them that they hadn't had in a long time and delivered them out of captivity, ladies and gentlemen, and brought them back to their cities. He got up and did something about it. I remember reading about the Hebrews who were living in Egypt. Remember the Jewish people, the Israelites living in Egyptian bondage? And the Pharaoh gave this command and said, listen, all of the little babies that are born of the Jewish people, that all the, you can let the little girls live, but I want all those little boys to be drowned in the river. I want them dead. And they had these midwives that were going around and helping uh, the Jewish ladies as they gave birth. And he told all those midwives, you make sure that every little baby boy uh, is dead. And do you know those midwives just couldn't do it? And instead of doing it, ladies and gentlemen, they disobeyed the order of Pharaoh and refused. Many of them just refused to kill those little 
babies. Now listen, they did something big. Put their lives on the line to help these suffering Jewish mothers. They sure did. They had it within their ability to do something. And so they did it. Abraham had it within his ability to do something, and he went and did it and defeated those kings. These midwives had it within their ability to do something, and even though they risked their lives, they did it. Remember when the 12 spies went into the city of Jericho? Remember before they marched around that city and destroyed it? Those spies that went into the city, and ladies and gentlemen, there's a little lady there. Her name is Rahab. And those spies are being hunted. If they get caught, they're going to be killed. And the Bible tells us that Rahab hid these two men in her little place there on the wall of the city. At the risk of her own life, she hid these spies, ladies and gentlemen, and let them down. Remember, let them down. Let them escape without getting caught. She had it within her ability to do something, to help these men, these spies, and she did it. She did it. Remember when, I, remember when Elijah was going through that time of great famine in 1 Kings? The Bible says that there hadn't been any rain. Everything had dried up and people were beginning to starve to death. And God told him to leave the brook Cherith and go down to Zarephath. There's a widow down there and he got down there and they were about ready to eat their last meal. Use their last meal with their last amount of oil. And Elijah said, I'll take it. Yeah, the widow and her son... They're going to eat their last meal and then starve to death and die. Elijah came down there and he said, I'll take, don't worry about it. And just, I'll eat the last bit for you. If you don't mind, I'm a little bit hungry. I'll take it. And listen, she gave it to the man of God. And listen, the oil never ran out. The meal never ran out. Elijah was a powerful man, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, he helped a woman, a widow, and her son in their time of suffering. He had the ability to do that. And he did it. I remember reading about Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 38, Jeremiah got thrown into jail. When I say he got thrown into jail, he got thrown into a pit, a muddy pit. He's being persecuted because of his preaching, and they threw him in a muddy pit, ladies and gentlemen. And he was, listen, he was sunk down in the mud. He couldn't move, he couldn't get out, he couldn't do anything. He's going to die down there in that muddy pit. And there's an Ethiopian that had compassion on him. We're talking about in Jeremiah 38, I don't have time to read it tonight. In Jeremiah 38, the Bible says there's an Ethiopian had compassion on him and begged for the man's life. Went to the king and said, begged for his life. The king said, all right, go ahead and bring him up. And he went and got a rope and then he went and got some old rags, old rotten rags. And he threw them down near the Jeremiah and he said, tie those up around your armpits so, uh, so we can drag you out of there. And ladies and gentlemen, he did. And they drug him out of that old mud and saved his life. There's a man who had the ability and the influence, a eunuch who had the influence with the king. He could do something about it. He was in a position to do something and he did it. Some of you are in a position to be able to do something those who are hurting, then you ought to do it. That's the idea here. You ought to do it. Remember when the city of Philippi, and this is my last one, if you're wondering when I'm going to get done. Remember the city of Philippi when Paul was beaten and thrown into jail? Beaten with a whip. Thrown into jail. Down there praying when God sent the earthquake and shook the jail in Acts 16. Remember the jailer got woke up? He came trembling to where Paul and Silas and the others were at and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, your house. And he believed and got saved, and, and he took Paul home with him, ladies and gentlemen. And the Bible says that his whole household got saved that very night. And do you know what that jailer did? Paul has been beaten. He's been beaten. And you know, the Bible says in Acts 16 that that jailer washed his stripes. The same one who may have laid them on him is now tending to the wounds on this man of God. You say, well, Pastor, what's the story? I'm telling you, he did something. That is, he, he acted to be able to help this man, this man of God in his time of suffering and persecution. Took him home. Didn't leave him in the jail. And washed his stripes Applied whatever medicine they had so that it could be healed. Here's what I'm trying to ask you. Do you and I really love the suffering like that? Would I have hidden the spies if I'd been Rahab? Or maybe I'd have called up somebody else and see if they had a place for him to stay. Would I have saved the lives of those little baby boys like those midwives did, even though my life would be on the line by doing it? Would I have done like Abraham and got my fellows together and went to do battle against these captors? Or would I have just washed my hands and say, well, there's nothing I can do about it? If I'd have been that eunuch that has some influence with the king, would I have cried out on Jeremiah's behalf and put him out of that mud pit? Or would I have just said, well, he's going to go to heaven anyway, so it would be all right? If I was that jailer and knew that I was going to lose my job and who knows what else by letting Paul and Silas out of jail, take them to my home and clean their stripes. If I knew it was going to cost me my job, would I do it? I'm trying to do an accounting of my affection. Do I love those who are suffering like that? Ladies and gentlemen, we really do need to take an account of our affection. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word, your people, and everyone who is here. I pray that you would meet us at every point of need in our life. Father, I pray that you would do a deep search of us. Lord, you know our hearts. God, we have a tendency, Lord, just to, to ignore the really big needs of our life by being distracted by trivial things. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us, Lord, to set aside the trivial and do a deep dive into our own hearts to do an accounting of our own affection, to examine what it is that we really love. Father, thank you for the time we've had together tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Thank you all for being here.